since we began the podcast, we have a, a, a jingo that we sing. It's a beautiful jingo. Every time we sing it, we really have to spend the next couple of days, you know, undercover. Plastic. That's good. Climate. Future.com. <laughs> Boom, man! Johnny nice. Cash, Johnny Cash, stand there you aside. Go. Johnny like Cash the, has to stand aside now. The balancing wow. of the melody and the and oh, the, yeah. wow! The, you know. I mean, we just we just slay Johnny Cash. Next, next one, Coldplay. You're next, guys. We're gonna we just <laughs> better and better. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, welcome everyone tonight to another Tuesday podcast. And uh, today we have. I guess from Canada, Jason. Jason, welcome. Hello. Jason. Thank you, and appreciate you both inviting me. And <laughs> exciting, excited for our conversation. <laughs> Great. Uh, we're we're happy that you didn't hang up on us after the jingle. So yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, the, the, the jingle was good. It captured my attention for sure. So uh, now I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let's move forward now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Thanks for for taking the time tonight. And um, as uh, we usually say at Plastic Climate Futures, we engage into topics around sustainability, innovation, and circularity with plastics. And uh, one thing that we really, really love to talk about are innovations. And I think that's why you are here with us tonight. But uh, before jumping, deeper into the activities of your company, which is called Evoco. I hope I, I said it right. That's correct. Yep. And maybe then we nerd out again on some polymer chemistry. Tell <laughs> oh, us I love first. that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I know one person who loves to nerd out in chemistry, at least one person here as well. So it might be someone, uh, yes, someone around here. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but before we, we dive into the chemistry topic, uh, and of course, what, what Evoco is doing, tell us maybe a bit about your person. Who is Jason Robinson? What is your background? And uh, yeah, especially how did you end up working in, uh, in the field of plastics? Well, uh, I'll start from the fact that uh, I am a chemical engineer. That's why automatically Ooh. I gravitate towards the technology. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a born technologist with the, the mandate to commercialize these innovations and make them become reality. But um, my career started really in climate tech. Um, the, January of next year is, is my 20th anniversary working in this industry. So um, I've been uh, stubborn enough to stay in it. <laughs> um, it didn't break me financially by staying in it, but I'll say that it's been a huge challenge working in this environment, trying to, you know, work on a principle that you can have impact and value in a business. And that impact for me has always been working on, you know, removing our, the number one raw material used in the entire planet, which is oil um, from a variety of different supply chains, anything from fuel to now materials. And uh, being an engineer, um, worked on various innovations um, across that value chain. And we think that plants, and I think that plants, I've always thought plants, could be the number one source to remove 
and mitigate our use of oil in any value chain that we are using as human beings today. Yeah. And uh, so the 20 years that you spent working in the industry, was it in uh, chemical companies or was it always your own innovations and your own, yeah, I would say I, I, I started off working with a chemical company that didn't last mm -hmm. very long, let's say. So it's always been, um, you know, growth companies, startups, uh, whether I was working um, within, you know, an actual startup um, in, in, in industrial biotech to moving and consulting with various other companies that were in different phases of the development from early stage to late stage but really focusing on that mandate of sustainability and impact on the environment to allow us to continue to be kind of, you know, human beings and active human beings working around the planet and stuff like that, but without kind of that same carbon footprint attached to what we're doing today on a daily basis. So when I say 20 years in the making, um, you know, it's been a little bit serendipitous to end up where I am today um, and I'm grateful Uh, but I also say <laughs> um, the challenges that go with uh, working in this environment, um, it, it's definitely going up against big companies, big chemical companies, not just, um, you know, trying to under, you know, get the consumer on board and, and, and who we are as people on board with the idea, but also kind of going up against companies that have kind of indoctrinated um value chains, supply chains, all linked to oil and stuff like that. So back to your question, it's always kind of been with kind of impact businesses trying to grow and commercialize technology. I mean, so you're, you're, you're making polymers today. That's what you're doing. Is it, 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 well, I, I would take it back even further. We're making plant-based chemistry and that plant-based chemistry is to replace petrochemistry yeah, in all the okay. materials and products we use in our daily life, stuff we wow. walk on, okay. sit on, run on, even yeah. drive in, sleep on, that type of thing consists yeah. of petrochemistry, whether it's a plastic or a thing in between. Yeah. Um, you know, we're working with a chemistry platform that really transcends all those products, all those product line categories and verticals of industry that mm -hmm. we can start to work with and really mitigate the use of oil and have a really scalable, large-scale impact on that. Mm -hmm. If I, I were to throw out the term, the, the phrase circular chemistry, does that, does that ring, does that connect in any way or is it? Is yeah, it, 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 uh, the way we always at Evoco anyways, um, we, the way we connect chemistry is, is this ideal of natural circularity. So we talk a lot about product circularity, recycling, upcycling, these types of different things really that's trying to make a new product from an old product. We like to look at the carbon cycle of things. So working with plants instead of oil mm -hmm. creates a renewable start. We then try to take that chemistry, make it into a variety of different polymers or um, um, plant-based chemistry platforms to make materials that actually perform as good or even better than the status yeah. quo. And, and the idea that we can have something that lasts longer, uh, reduces the consumption cycle, allows us to extend that product line category, um, actually helps reduce the carbon on consumption side. And then uh, looking at the end of life, these products are combust, um, compostable, biodegradable. And I know that's a, you know, a, a hot topic these days, but 
Um, we really design things from the start so that they can perform, but they have an end of life story to it. So it can be recycled or upcycled or kind of reused in a way. But at the end, you know, eventually these things do end up in landfill or end up industrial composting. We're trying to make a product that impacts there. And then that carbon can end up back in the soil to kind of create new plants. And right, that's where the carbon cycle in its natural form, way nature intended it to be done, is what we kind of focused on in our company. So you you mentioned, Jason, that uh, you have a platform technology or, or something like a platform. So how, how can we imagine a platform in terms of, uh, is it like chemical ingredients? Is it monomers or is it products? Or how does it compare maybe also to something that, that people uh, know now as a bio-based, biodegradable material. Is there a comparison that, uh, that you, can, you can make at this stage? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, kind of taking a very complex material and a complex sub subject and distilling it into something simple is basically plants have the power to create a variety of different chemistries. So we're not focused on one chemistry mm. or even one type of plant. What we focus on is how to mimic what chemistry looks like coming from petrochemicals and find out ways to derive that from plants. Okay. So plants can have um, waste materials, starch materials, oil materials that you can all derive into polymeric components, monomeric components. We're not so fixated on one thing, one monomer or one polymer. What we do is we look at the opportunity for plants to make chemistry. Mm -hmm. So for example, today, We use industrial corn to create some of our monomers mm -hmm. and some of those monomers are turned into polymers. But we also look at other materials such as castor oil, um, mm -hmm. you know, really focusing on the non-food based crops uh, specifically to try to, you know, create new chemistry, new opportunities for chemistry to create new polymers and then derive those to new products. So products can be foams to plastics. Um, all basically trying to um, decrease your carbon footprint, increasing your sustainability element to that while offsetting or mitigating the use of petrochemistry in the materials we're, we're, we're making. Uh, uh, could, could, these, could, these, uh, I, I don't, I'm not an expert in this area by, by any means, but could these, like uh, you mentioned, like industrial corn, castor oil, uh, you mentioned making monomers uh, that can be used to make polymers. Uh, is 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 in this mix of, of monomers? Is it potentially? I think the answer is yes, but is it potentially uh, uh, bioethylene, biopropylene? So so then you have bio-based uh, polyolefins, for example, or or uh, or, or uh, is is this used more like indeed for like uh, uh, the, um, PLA, polylactic acid? I think the polylactic acid is not where we're going because that's really for thin film plastics and, and kind okay. of, yeah. you know, product that doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, reusable or, or use. We're looking at, um, you know, more complex polymers that we build as a building block to make mm -hmm. these, these, these materials. So okay. um, you don't just look at one type of polylactic acid is made from lactic acid that is derived mm -hmm. from a fermentation of usually mm -hmm. some sort of starch mm -hmm. or, or product. We look at a variety of different mon monomers to make um, everything from kind of polyurethane or, or different types of elastomeric materials that we can derive chemistry from. So, for example, 
you know, our suite of almost 20 patents at this moment doesn't focus on one specific thing. It's kind of a suite of IP that allows us to derive technology for elastomeric, um, you know, thermoplastics, um, flex foam, polyurethanes, rigid polyurethanes. Um, and we're using a variety of, yeah. And then we're using anything from, you know, industrial corn to um, non-food-based oils, but we also look at waste products. So uh, forestry um, residues and forestry waste, which, you know, lignin, for example, is a mm-hmm. byproduct of paper making. We utilize that as a, um, a technology to make new polymers from and also utilize it as a material that goes directly into some of our foams to add some performance metrics or increase biocontent. So, you know, what we try to do right from the beginning is not look at pigeonholing ourselves to kind of one feedstock or one area of the world or one region of the world. And what we're trying to really do there is create chemistry that can really scale to a platform that really mitigates the amount of oil we use in the materials we, uh, that we encounter in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Do, you, you mentioned that sometimes you're, you're up against uh, really big giants that, 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 you know, and, and, you know, that have their, you know, obviously their big footprint understood, you know, understand it, do you have any cases, I mean, with that, you don't, don't need to name names, but do you have any cases where some of these even bigger giants, so to speak, have at least some um, uh, sufficient vision, let's call it that, to, to, to try to find a way to work with an innovator like you and, and a, not just an innovator, but a success, you know, deliverer? Uh, I mean, because I, 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 I know for like polyurethane, for example, uh, before we got on, you got on, I was having, me, Matt, we're having a five minute briefing and, and I was thinking, he mentioned foams and I thought like, I bet you that there's, you know, polyurethane will come up tonight and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, but, but, uh, I mean, how, uh, I mean, take companies that, that are having, you know, making polyurethane or materials to make polyurethane that are these big giants. Are any of them having any vision to work? Uh, to, I mean, or are they all, you know, Dr. Evil? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't look at the it kind of as a, you know, uh, uh, that type of black and white scenario. I think yeah. that if you take a large chemical company, there's plenty of people that work within those organizations that want to do better with their Boom. products. Bingo. I think <laughs> I think the challenge is, is that, you know, you've indoctrinated yourself into a supply chain or a value chain that is 80, 100 years old, or you've mm-hmm. built big factories mm-hmm. that are based on a technology that you need to amortize over 20, 30 years of operation, right? And so nothing is as cut and dry as um, we don't want to do it. We really do want to just drill oil on the ground and, and, and make plastics the way we've made them for 60 years. But you know, there's a challenge in adopting new value chains and supply chains. And, and, and so I think there is an interest from large chemical companies to work with companies like ours. You know, and I think there's going to be a time where they're going to be more invested in technologies like ours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I think with every kind of innovation or entrepreneurial environment, the way I would describe it is that, that innovation happens not with massive R&D teams and massive R&D budgets. It comes from an idea and an energy and an impetus to make that happen. And we start with a small team and we grow that team and we, we innovate, we innovate and we commercialize, right? And so I think there's a lot of that commercialization and innovation phase that's happening now because now where I see the, in the material space particularly, 
you know, today we work in fashion and footwear and consumer goods. There is this mandate um, towards whether it's net zero targets or ESG targets in, internally to kind of change out the materials, look at more renewable, sustainable options towards their materials or their value chains. And I think that's where this in, innovation um, complex is coming in. So, you know, it starts with VCs or, or, or other money to kind of get that, that investment going. And then you start seeing strategic partners come in later on. So like I said at the beginning, I don't think there's not the will to make things better. I think there's a lot of challenges in trying to make things better, but we are more adaptable being a smaller company to move and to create a new value chain rather than kind of try to put one into an existing value chain, if you know what I'm trying to say. And you also mentioned uh, like the, the keyword circularity, we already had it. Uh, you mentioned also that you're moving or you're trying to also develop the products that afterwards biodegrade or are compostable. So are you also not only in the development of this chemistry to, to make the raw materials, but also supporting in using those materials in such a way that you can actually close the loop. And then by this really having maybe not circular chemistry because the chemistry is, is natural chemistry, but it's made yeah. circular by design in the end. Yeah, you know, the way I would look at it is I kind of try to coin little terms within Evoco. We call it disruptive mm -hmm. vertical integration, which means, um, you know, we have a disruptive technology, but we vertically integrate all the way back into our value chain so we can offer product that is least disruptive to a brand's or, you know, or a company's yeah. supply chain, right? And so the biggest issue is some technology might be extremely innovative, but they can only make it in one region of the world. <laughs> and, or they need to have huge capital investment to build these factories in other areas. The way we kind of took uh, you know, upon us is to say is, not only are we going to work with the chemistry, but we're going to actually make the products that the footwear brands or fashion brands, the consumer goods industry will want from us. And so we built recently built an operation in Vietnam um, where it's our own factory and we're making our own products for the footwear business. And we're looking to expand that model in different areas around the world, whether it's Canada, US or Europe, uh, in order for us to be able to seamlessly integrate into someone else's supply chain while still having a disruptive technology. And I think yeah. that's where we're trying to take a different approach than maybe just yeah. trying to sell chemistry or just trying to yeah. sell a, a product that maybe is not sustainable. So I would say, We're our biggest customer of our chemistry. <laughs> can, can I, well, I mean, can, can you say a little bit more about your, your plant in Vietnam? And that's that's cool and fascinating and tangible. Say, say well, Tell us about it. The big question that I have is, of course, the plant in Vietnam is referring to this, but the big question is, what type of products? And then yeah. what are you making yeah. in Vietnam? Rock and roll, indeed. <laughs> I love it. Disruptive, vertically integrated technology. Like this is this is a, an amazing approach, and I think the next circularity uh, replacement. <laughs> so, what kind of products? <laughs> so today we're making things like insoles and midsole mm -hmm. technology, which you can use in basically any footwear product out there today. So, you know, and and people will say, well, what's the impact of that? Well, the most carbon emitting part of this shoe is the bottom of the shoe, which gives you the most performance requirements and more importantly, the most comfort, right? 
And so what we're doing is making products in Vietnam that are 70 to 82% plant-based that offer you performance at a cost-effective premium, cost-effective premium. So we're not, we're not the cheapest stuff out there by any means, but we are within a remit of being able to make millions and millions of pairs of these products mm-hmm. and also being able to make substantial quantifiable impact to your carbon cycle um, relative to your materials value chain on the basis of offering you materials that are the really the highest emitters when it comes to mm-hmm. footwear in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're really using Vietnam as an innovation hub and as a distribution hub so we can start to branch out our innovations and move it into different product categories like the um, like an outsole or a higher performance midsole that gives you tons of rebounds that you're going to break marathons with or, or moving it into anything from a yoga mat to a plant-based leather alternative. Mm-hmm. So that's why we kind of led, said right from the beginning is the platform we're using allows us to diversify not only the type of camp, but also the type of product we're making. And so we're really trying to make Vietnam the hub of kind of Southeast Asia, Asia in general, because that's the supply chain of consumer goods. We can seamlessly integrate into their supply chains while offering this disruptive, innovative technology um, and make products. And making a product as simple as an insole or as complex as an entire shoe is a very convoluted supply chain. And so we need to be able to um, integrate our, our innovations in a way that uh, is cost effective, but also allows you to put something in a shoe and have meaningful impact down the road. This is fascinating. Can I, uh, just a, a quick question on, uh, I mean, for, for this uh, this product, uh, the, the uh, shoe soles uh, from Vietnam, would you describe that uh, from a chemistry standpoint, uh, chemistry for dummies like me, uh, is this, is this uh, a bio-based, plant-based polyurethane? Yes, uh, it, wow. a bio-based, plant-based polyurethane product, wow. I would say. Wow. It's kind of a hybrid technology that um, is so all, keeping it to the, you know, the, the simplistic element of this. We've made mm-hmm. some plant-based chemistry, formed it into a foam that is polyurethane-based, and the 70 to 80% uh, allows you to reduce your carbon footprint by 5 to 10 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, relative to a status quo or the, mm-hmm. the a similar a similar type of material, but also gives you a lot of performance out of this. And so we've had products like with Vans and Timberland that really mm-hmm. seek out mm-hmm. the technology because of the performance and the sustainability. Mm-hmm. So we've wow. kind of got it going hand in hand. And because we've been able to build that facility in Vietnam um, is really allow us now to take it to the next level, more volume, more innovation, more opportunity, more impact. Did you say Timberland and Vans? Timberland, Vans, um, uh, a couple of um, other brands that are coming online that I can't talk about. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, Keen, Kodiak, Baird are, are a few that are going online right now. But there's, I'm going to say, 10 plus brands that will be going online over the next 12 months mm-hmm. in production. My closet and, and, is full of Timberland. I got, I, I, I love Timberland. I mean, I'm serious. I got, I can. Get, if we had more time, I'd just go get my show you all my Timberland clothes. So maybe <laughs> okay. I got some of your products. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have to so buy Timberland on the podcast then next time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Timberland or Vans. Vans, yeah. uh, we have a couple of great products with Vans and, and wow. obviously looking to do 
um, other things with them. But Vans has got a great couple of products in the marketplace featuring our, our technology. That's so cool. I mean, I think what's also cool, I mean, uh, you know, we talk about these two brands. I think it's indeed very important. I mean, that uh, uh, because it, it, the brands, uh, I mean, they put out what, what are ultimately the cool products that we like and love to use. Uh, uh, and, and they're the ones that, that you know, are, 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 are being pushed in some cases, but are ultimately pulling to get this, this type of, uh, these type of solutions into the value chain. I mean, that, that's, uh, yeah, it, you know what? And I, the way I describe it is, some of these uh, brands and companies are, are, you know, really trying to push their sustainability elements, and, and not yeah. just from, you know, auxiliary things like, you know, we're going to clean up our supply chain and reduce waste, but really focusing on the material side because they understand yeah. that's a mm-hmm. big impact on materials on reduction of carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And so, when you look at sustainability, carbon footprint is kind of the number one part of that, right? And I think when you look at trying to reduce your your carbon emissions relevant to net zero targets or ESG targets, um, I think these early adopters like you know VF Corporation under the you know with Timberland and, and Vans working together like kind of on this, yeah. um, you know they have a lot of initiatives that they're working on to really clean up their entire um, supply mm-hmm. chain or value chain as well. So it's great. Um, you know I always talk about collaboration and partnership. We don't see our relationships with with them as transactional. We see it as collaborative, and, and because they've had to come to the table and 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 make some compromises. Obviously, we've had to do that as well to adopt this technology. Um, but it's certainly having early adopters kind of mm-hmm. take on these innovations really helps us commercialize to the next level, and that's where we're at right now. And do you? experience or maybe you've had experienced also some push from the regulatory side or did you have maybe some some help or benefits that came actually from governmental initiatives or legislation or was it purely driven by the industry you would say no i I, i'm going to say that it's driven by the industry i do believe regulation down the line is going to um, move them quicker. So the industry has a choice right now, and I'm talking about consumer goods or particularly fashion yeah. footwear. You can either be at the forefront of this and 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 kind of drive this and own it and, and create your sustainability or regulatory pathways from governments and, and, and regulators are going to come down and push you in the direction maybe you don't want to go. So if you're not showing that you're coming to the table with solutions um, regulatory pathways coming down the line are going to be a big, big challenge to them in the future because, uh, you know, for example, I'll give you an example. In Canada, there's going to be a ban on single-use plastics. You know, how are industries, how are retailers getting ahead of all these things, um, you know, because the reg- regulatory pipeline pushed something down on them. So this will be an interesting thing, but I, I see huge brands, the biggest brands in the world working on sustainability issues as first and foremost, right? And when you start to see that, that is definitely a pull on innovation. Um, But, and then, you know, I guess they eventually push out to the the marketplace. So where I see um, them moving along is trying to be in front of the regulatory and be a part of that decision-making on regulation coming up. But we haven't necessarily been impacted on that. Mostly, it's been by the brand's own ESG targets within uh, to kind of capitalize on on sustainability initiatives. And and I think we're just trying to make it easy on by giving them something that performs is is cost 
effective and also you know doesn't disrupt their 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 supply chain. Can can I, can I uh, something uh, uh, that, that 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 that's coming up in my mind that, that I, I want to ask, and I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure the answer you you got you got this this covered, and that is when when if you look at some of the other uh, bio based uh, plastics, meaning bio based meaning coming from annual renewable uh, sources, you know, plant based, uh, and, and take for example uh, PLA for example. Uh, and, and you look at uh, you know, the, the success of PLA over the past 15, 20 years. That being said, you have a plant, is it in Indiana? You have, you have a couple of plants uh, in, in Thailand and, and in the future, 2025, a plant uh, south of Paris. Uh, so, so, and then if you look at, at the polyolefins industry, for example, you know, uh, uh, and you, you look at the fact that every year, you know, we have over 350, more like 380 million metric tons of new plastic polymer made every year. So a million tons per day. Uh, the question of scalability needs to be asked. Um, and, and also uh, the, the follow-on question about, you know, uh, say say other bio-based materials are, are like the com competi competition for arable land and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, it so, so, you know, the, these are great questions. Yeah, these are great questions. And I think um, it's important to put a stake in the ground on these because I think there's yeah. a lot of misinformation out yeah, there. Go for it. Um, first, I'll start, you know, I can't comment on PLA. That's not my, my industry. But what I'll try to do is kind of bring you some context about how we're working within that the, the framework of scalability. Um, first and foremost, um, farmland is shrinking every year in the U.S. by three maybe even 5%. So farmland is shrinking while industrial um, agriculture yields increase. And there's a variety of mechanisms in that, and I won't get into that. But what we're saying is there's more arable land coming on instead of side land coming on from farming being much more efficient, agriculture being much more efficient. And there's a variety of driving factors in that from uh, reducing water to having more regenerative farming practices to simply just trying to be from an economics for unit economics perspective, reduce your costs. Right. And so all these things kind of come and play in that. But what I'll also kind of talk about in scalability, and I don't have the exact numbers, but there's this, you can find this out. Maybe you can help me out with this, but there's more biomass made in a day than there is petrochemistry made in an entire year. So we have a variety of a huge variety of feedstock. Okay. from different types of feedstock elements, right? Yeah. Whether it's the waste of agriculture, agricultural products that are in, you know, industrial based to um, having material that can be planted in India, Africa, Australia, North America, and, and not be such a regional player like having one feedstock in, you know, offshore or in one country, you know, we're having problems with that today, right? Having, you know, that, you know, a few countries owning a, a commodity where agriculture and plants are a global commodity and can be grown anywhere under the right conditions. And some plants even grown under the, the worst of conditions, right? Yeah, yeah. And so mm -hmm. when I look mm -hmm. at scalability, I, there's nothing more scalable than a plant or, mm -hmm. or biomass or all the materials that can come from those plants. So I think I'll leave it in that context of there's a lot of opportunity to use plants all over the world. You are correct, and this is what we tried to kind of mitigate with our with our vertical integration or disruptive vertical integration on the basis of, you know, 
there is facilities that only make PLA in certain areas and, and that sort of thing. So how do you globalize and mobilize that? Um, I think from my perspective, uh, there is a lot of investment required. There's a lot of infrastructure required to be built up, but that takes time, right? I mean, we spent 60 years cheapening up and dirtying up our materials that already comes from the, the oil industry. Um, you need to give these innovations time to catch up. And I think through regulation, through government mandates, some of this infrastructure, this capital required will be built up over time. But I'll start with this very simple concept is that change is incremental. Mm-hmm. If you focus on step change change, which is, uh, you can, there's a lot you can get out of that working in footwear, step change change. But anyways, if you're looking at change um, and you're doing these big jumps, it's never going to get you there. You have to do small, subtle changes because, and it has to be, more innovations and more technology, not just Avoco, but the gauntlet of other technologies out there mobilizing. So you can have different regional plays. You can have different types of materials. You can work in consumer goods or fashion and footwear, and you can go into big industry and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we look at change as being incremental. So we started off with the 70% material, moved it to 80%. We didn't wait for 100% or a perfect product to put in the marketplace. We can still reduce your carbon footprint. We can still make your materials much more sustainable and renewable. But at the same time, you have to start adopting now to get these innovations in place so that future factories can be built all over the world. You know, I've been saying this phrase recently in the past week or so in in context of some of the other work I'm doing, and that is, uh, don't let don't let the per you know it's this cliche everyone's heard don't don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good you know yeah uh, uh, absolutely <laughs> I, I, I absolutely I mean uh, gosh I mean and and uh, uh, yeah we we have to be that that's really uh, something really important uh, when it comes to making the changes that we're talking about go ahead Matt. Yeah, and I think we, we once we had we ha- already had this discussion that when we were replacing metal with plastics and creating all these benefits, this was the plastics were also just a little tiny part in the beginning of uh, the, yeah, the amount yeah. of, of the metals. So yeah, we we have to we have to be open and and also look back in history sometimes. Um, yeah. I have one question that I wanted to ask because I watched your video on YouTube. <laughs> where you were presenting at a conference, I think. Um, and, uh, or it was some kind of sustainability happy hour or something like this. Oh, um, yes. And you yes. said, <laughs> you, you, you said that you're doing, um, uh, or the video has actually a title, Authentic Sustainability. And I, I like this very much. Um, can you, can you tell us more where about where the term authentic comes from? Or how do you see that personally? Well, it, it, yeah, no, it's a great segue from the last uh, conversation is that firstly, you know, we're, we're putting out something that's incremental, right? Incrementally more sustainable yeah. than the last material. And you create transparency by showing people what you can do, right? So we um, do a couple things. We have third-party certification. We have LCAs that we put in the public domain mm-hmm. that we um, have third-party certified or actually third parties have, have built and, and, and that sort of thing. So transparency first comes from you know, the effect of doing um, and doing incrementally, but also from the effect of showing what you're, you're capable of doing and the mm-hmm. impact you're having. Um, third party certification is important today, but it also is very diluted. 
So you can have third-party certification, but what does it mean, right? Um, but we try to kind of keep things in a little bit more of a, an, a concept of, you know, working with partners and collaborations to kind of show what we're doing and how we do it in a way that we're doing it. Obviously, there's certain times where we don't want to disclose IP and trade secrets and stuff like that. But there's always a way of showing people what can be done and then having it third-party validated or certified or even tested. For example, bio content or plant-based content. It's a test, right? You can test it and you can learn that that carbon is new carbon, not carbon from 200 million years ago, right? And then that's part of that is, you know, showing that, having that and having repeatability on that, right? Making a product that we have full quality and you know, quality and visibility and transparency of, of our value chain allows us to put up a product that is more transparent to the customer so they can put out claims relevant to that and that sort of thing. But I think, um, you know, authentic is really trying to move the dial um, in a way where we can create impact and value. And, and I like these, this concept because we're a company. We need to have value back to the company. We need to sell product and, and build that and continue to invest in our innovation platforms and stuff. But we, we can't, we don't put stuff out there without the impact, right? Um, you know, our very first technology had a, had a chemical in it and it gave us some performance and property. Um, and we didn't like it because it was not necessarily healthy. And, and so before it was been put in the marketplace, we replaced it with a bio-based, more benign material that, that gave similar performance attributes, not the same, but similar, but we can still make it work. Right. But we, just by displacing something that was only one or 2% by weight of our material, bettered the planet, decreased toxic toxicity so, yeah, and added yeah, to the sustainability yeah. element of that. And so yeah. authentic, authenticity, not is just about how you display yourself externally. Mm -hmm. It's about what we're doing internally from an innovation perspective and how we work within a vocal, trying to continue to make, create impact while adding value. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, hey, hey, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you, sir, and let you, let you ask the we last question. One question, but, but before, yeah. Yeah, but before you do that, I mean, uh, uh, can we can we just have it officially on the record here, Jason, uh, an agreement uh, uh, on your honor uh, that, that you will come back soon and continue this conversation? <laughs> Because this yeah. is utterly fascinating, and I, I mean that sincerely. This utterly fascinating, and I see so many connection points with with the other conversations that that we have on the podcast, and and also me and Matt together, and me and Matt with our what we do in our daily lives. Yeah, yeah. The, wow, what 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 a great connection. Thank you again, Matt. You always <laughs> seem to bring the the coolest people. So over well, to you, well, Matt. Well, I just want to say thank you. I will come back, but thank you for saying that because not everybody finds our stuff interesting. And, and sometimes we have to find a, a messaging that doesn't allow us to talk about all the innovation behind what we're doing and, 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 yeah, yeah. and you know, the 30 engineers and, and scientists that we have working on this stuff. So they'll appreciate your comment just as much as I did. So thank you. <laughs> well, you're, 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 we're, you're with fellow nerds. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And we didn't even nerd out so badly. Yeah. Like, so bad. I mean, really <laughs> no, but I, I think what it's what you just mentioned, John, we we've had, We've had so many of these innovators, and I think this is this is also what we try to, you know, uh, yeah, 
make a platform for so that these innovations get out there and these innovations are being understood and also being appreciated because of the impact that they can have. And I think this is this is yeah, that's that's uh, the, the the main uh, value that we want to create with with uh, plastic lab. And if I could just add with that, I mean, like that's that's a great concept because messaging and, and communication is so important because it reaches not just companies but the consumers and and yeah, the yeah. people using these things. But one thing we need to do on the technology side is is work together with our messaging and collaborate not just on messaging but also on innovation because. You know, like I said, change is incremental, but if we're not working together on this, on this daunting task that we have ahead of us, yeah. we're not partnering as OEMs or, in, you know, innovation people, right? We have to take a step back and say, you know, when you look at the size of the industry and the size of the opportunity, there's many pieces of way we can, we can take value from that, but we have to work in collaboration with each other and not against each other. And I think... Yeah. Um, sometimes these new industries that come out are too um, competitive, not collaborative. And if you look at the oil industry, they know how to collaborate all over the place. So we better start maturing in order for us to be able to launch our technologies a lot more ubiqu ubiquitously. Yeah, that's why we have uh, also other daily jobs where we actually have to, <laughs> where we, don't, we, we cannot just talk, we have to do something. <laughs> And that's exactly, what we're doing. Exactly. We're trying to do. Um, yeah, Jason, thanks so much. But uh, before we let you go, we have one more question, which is the most, uh, important. The most important question. Yes. Yeah. We have uh, <laughs> another contribution to the to the sustainability of the world, uh, which is, uh, yeah, be sustainable with the good music in your ear. <laughs> um, and that's why we have our Plastic Lab and Future playlist on Spotify. And then all the guests have to mention one or two songs that connect to them, their activity, or simply our cool songs that we can put on the playlist. Like, yeah. Can you do that? This is a, a loaded question for me because I'm a big um, song guy. So I, I have a lot of... Um, we can have three songs if you want. We have three, well, three you, songs, you, you, you but like, I have... I have Endless playlist, but I, I, I specifically picked out something that is new, and it's with Kevin with um, Moby, and it's Moby, a song oh, called Moby. "This Is Not Our World." Yeah, and this is not our world. It's a new launch, and it's kind of something oh, that I've been listening to, and a little bit of I think touches on the subject that we talked about today from the sustainability and you know what are we doing to ourselves? Well, at least that's what I took from my um, love our Moby my. Yes. So, so that's Moby, but I also am a big fan of Kevin Morby, who's kind of an indie guy and beautiful strangers would be a great um, song to kind of say, uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of indie music kind of represents what, what's happening in our world. And I tend to listen to that quite a lot. So those are two songs that I can give you, but my playlist is, uh, this is you know, great. This rife is great. with indie music. Sharon Bennett and Bonnie Light Horseman, Big Thief, all sorts of great, great uh, bands yeah, that are kind of wow. okay. Um, okay. not as commercial wow. as, as, as anything else. But I'll leave you with those yeah. two songs. And, okay. Great. That's Jason. Perfect.